Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very happy Easter Sunday to you, Chef Jamie Gwen. In your radio, you've tuned in to the most delicious conversation over the radio waves. And oh, you have very good taste. I hope that you're having a truly scrumptious weekend celebrating with family and friends. We're celebrating Passover in our home. And I hope that your Easter celebrations are full of fabulous food. Whether you love to cook or love to eat, this is definitely your show. And I am serving it up every weekend with grand guests and chef's insight. Everything to make you hungry, of course. I'm always serving up seconds as well at the all-new chefjamie.com. And I'd love to know what you think. And I hope you'll become a friend and a fan and connect on social, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm at Chef Jamie Gwen. So let's get this party started, shall we? Coming up, I am so excited. For the first time ever, in fact, Canada's most celebrated baker, Food Network Canada star host, beloved YouTube pastry chef, Anna Olson, is here with her encyclopedia. Yes. It is her 11th best-selling award-winning cookbook entitled Baking Wisdom, and she is sharing with us pies and tarts and cakes and custards and creams, confections, cookies, bars, breads, and more. And she really is an extraordinarily excellent baker, so stay tuned for the sweet stuff. We're also dishing on spring's best produce with our resident produce guru, Robert Schuler, and you'll want to know what's fresh and in season to fill your table. So we'll increase your fruit and veggie knowledge before the end of the hour. Don't touch your dial. But first, I'm delivering deliciousness every weekend. So mark your calendar and be sure to tune in. If you happen to have missed a show, please don't worry. My podcasts are posted on iTunes and you can find a direct link at chefjamie.com, where I'm always serving up seconds with an arsenal of recipes to fill every day with fabulous flavor. You'll find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, where I hope that you will become a friend and a fan because I encourage everyone to eat delicious, quick, easy cuisine that comes alive with flavor. And so I'm arming you with the knowledge that you need here. I like to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts, one to make you the best cook you know, to arm you with gastronomic knowledge. And by the way, Hasselback is back. (laughs) That's right. And everywhere. So let's talk the Hasselback potato for a moment, shall we? Clearly the most impressive spud to ever call itself a side dish. Um, They also sometimes go under the name accordion potato, right? Whatever you call it though, the result is the same. It's a, a single potato sliced into thin wedges, but left a joined at the bottom, right? So it's still intact, but it has all these lovely slivers for air and heat and flavor to get into. And you bake it until the layers fan out and these rounds of potato become crispy bliss, right? Now the slits 
allow for butter or spices or toppings to seep in between each slice. It's like having all of your potato dreams come true at once. And if you're not making Hasselback potatoes, it's really super simple and it elevates the standard baked potato for that matter. It's like the crispy edges of your favorite French fries, but the creamy middle of mashed potatoes. So if you want to be a culinary hero, you should hassle back. Uh, They're a quick side dish for dinner, but it's a really elegant presentation. So as we start to entertain again and dinner parties come about, maybe outside socially distanced, however it is, I can't wait to socialize again. I think Hasselback is ultra impressive. Now, despite its fancy pants appearance, Hasselback takes very little time. I mean, not much more effort than your average foil wrap baked potato. And you can Hasselback many a fruit or vegetable, right? So Apples cut in Hasselback fashion are decadent, brushed with butter, sprinkled with cinnamon, sugar, and baked. Squash, like butternut, let's say, uh, drizzled with chipotle honey, roasted in Hasselback style, really delicious. Sweet potatoes too. Um, You can even Hasselback a chicken breast, stuff it with uh, borsan or herbed cream cheese, not so bad. And then When the recipe, of course, for Hasselback becomes a viral hit on the internet, well, then you see that everything can be Hasselbacked. But let's start with a Hasselback potato because I think it's worth the fuss. So we can thank the Swedes for this culinary phenomenon. The Hasselback potato is actually named for the hotel in Stockholm where the slicing treatment was invented in the 1950s. And the original recipe uh, wrapped the spud in bacon. Now, I'm all for that too, uh, but uh, let's start with that truly fabulous flavor. You start with a few potatoes. Any potato will do. I love a Yukon Gold. You can use a russet, a red potato, uh, anything that you can get nice, thin, horizontal uh sliver, excuse me, vertical slivers, of course. Now, uh, where horizontal comes in, and I get ahead of myself because I'm drooling already, is I like to get a thin horizontal sliver off the bottom of any potato you choose to use so that it rests flat on the baking sheet. And then the key to a great Hasselback potato is your knife skills, of course. You slice straight down, but you stop just short of cutting all the way through. And you want to make your slices as thin or thick as you like. I think that quarter-inch slices are perfect to get the benefits of the method itself. And they're feasible no matter your expertise with a knife. And you place these Hasselbacked potatoes on a baking sheet. Then next comes the butter or the olive oil or any fat or mix of fats that you love. I mix butter and olive oil for richness and flavor. Um, I've tried duck fat. You can do chicken fat too. You don't need much. Just enough to uh, brush in between the layers. Stick that, you know, um, that baking brush in there. And then uh, I like to brush the outside of the potato again, and sometimes halfway through baking too. And when you cut the potato, you really sort of want to stuff the butter or the flavorings into the slivers. Note the potatoes will start to fan out about halfway through the cooking process. So you can actually coax some more butter or flavor or herbs or goodness or pesto or Parmesan, need I go on, into the nooks and crannies so that you get that second coating ensuring delicious perfection. Now, 
shredded cheese, minced herbs, crumbled bacon. It sounds delicious right now, um, but you can start with the basic and move up from there. And if you haven't hasselbacked potatoes before, you will see what all the buzz is about. You end up with the most stylish baked potato on the block, really. Now, when it comes to fruits and vegetables, try zucchini. You could do onions, apples, I mentioned, pears for sure. You can even hasselback a muffin in the morning, cut it a little thicker, of course, and put some a beautiful honey butter in between and then warm it up. That sounds good. You can scream out Hasselback after you do that. Um, I've seen everything from a pepperoni pizza baked potato in Hasselback farm, form rather to caramelized onions and goat cheese for the gourmets. And I will say uh, it is exceptionally delicious and beautifully fabulous and so worth a try. I will post my best Hasselback recipes uh, and also my Hasselback beauties on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram once again at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I hope you will too. You can always email me if you're looking for recipes, Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, please don't touch your dial. Be ready. Baking aficionados rejoice. There is some sweet and savory conversation you don't want to miss in your radio right here, right now. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, Canada's most celebrated baker, Food Network Canada star host, and the beloved YouTube pastry chef, Anna Olson, is here with her encyclopedia. What a work of art it is. She is the author of 10 best-selling and award-winning cookbooks, but her new release, I believe, is her most phenomenal yet. Inside Baking Wisdom, as it's called, lies the answer to any and every baking question you might have ever had or will ever had. Have, rather, with over 150 perfected recipes, both savory and sweet, for bakers of all skill levels. You get to go inside Anna's baking brain as she shares a career's worth of experience to build a true master class in baking. It is the most incredible baking compendium, and it will guaranteed make you a better baker. And I am delighted that Anna Olson is gracing this show. And we welcome you, Anna. Thank you for being here. Oh, well, Jamie, <laughs> thank you for having me. It's yep. such a pleasure. Well, uh, such a pleasure. I will tell you, this is months worth of reading for me. It is one of the most glorious books I have ever seen. Talk about heart and soul. Um, tell us, please, what it, what it took to write Baking Wisdom. This is an encyclopedia for a lifetime. Well, I guess it comes down to simply saying that you give a girl a pandemic and <laughs> she has a little extra time. Just, a, just a little. Just a little. It didn't intend to be so big. Um, and I did have to weigh it to consider shipping. And it, it weighs five pounds. So I like to say, well, while you're browsing 
for recipes in the book, you can at least burn a few extra calories. I was going to say, do some arm, <laughs> arm curls or something. Yeah. But it was, in terms of trying to summarize the essence of baking experiences um, through lots of trial and error, through research, and through testing, testing, and retesting recipes, I found I couldn't stop at just a single representation of a dish. So mm. take in the custards and creams chapter, there, there is a classic creme brulee recipe, but there are two others because what you realize are, are there so many applied principles in baking that once you learn one basic technique and run of show for a recipe, you realize, oh, I can use that in three, four, a dozen different ways. Sure. But once you, you understand it, then you become a better baker. And with every bake, even if the flavors are different, the principle is the same and you're improving by practicing and repeating. And there is so much beautiful practice in here to be done. Mm -hmm. And I very much believe in practice. It's always fascinated me. And it's many years ago that I went to culinary school, Anna, but bakers especially always aspire to be better. And that constant knowledge is, is very much well-received. And even with my culinary education and many years in the industry, I started reading at the beginning of Baking Wisdom, the how-tos, and I learned something new on every page. And that is a beautiful epiphany. And it's a credit to you that there is such a wealth of knowledge here. I can't even begin to think, and I've been pondering it while I've been reading through the book, where to start. So I thought I would mention that there is an entire masterclass on the basics of baking from uh, how to temper eggs or use an egg wash to how to properly toast nuts with a chart and time and temperatures to how to repair over whipped egg whites and more at the start of the book that will make any baker brilliant, whether you're a novice or a connoisseur. But then I thought, well, I want to have some uh, scientific conversation with you. So I hope you will share a a little bit of how ingredients work in baking, because I think all of us can learn from that. Well, I think this is where initial fascination with baking comes in, because the ingredients we use in a baker's kitchen are actually limited. Um, you've got your foundation uh, dairy, your butter, milk, cream, you've got your eggs, flour, sugar, and then you've got your add-ins, your flavors, uh, nuts, and other such ingredients. But the fundamental baking ingredients is not complicated, mm-hmm. but knowing how it's the, the technique you use, how you treat those ingredients, in what proportion and in what order, d- differentiates between a sugar cookie and a sponge cake. Right. Fundamentally the same ingredients, completely different outcomes. So then you start looking back. Okay, what does each, each ingredient do? What does the fat do in butter? What does acidity do in baking? And depending what it's coming in contact, something like acidity, adding lemon juice um, in making a lemon curd uh, protects the eggs from over-coagulating. But you add vinegar to a pie dough recipe and the acidity reacts with the proteins in the flour and allows them to become more elastic, resulting in a more tender pastry. Mm. 
And then what do starches do? What do the proteins do? I find that so interesting and empowering as a baker because once you understand what each of these ingredients do, you're controlling their order and the process, but then you're, you're telling, you're directing the ingredients to do what they do. I love how you bring it down to the fundamental level. It makes me think of when I memorized the proportions for the perfect pound cake and how it was explained to me exactly as you just described, right? Flour, butter, eggs, whatever the the trio is, like you said, can make a multitude of different things. It's just the combination and the measurement of how you do it. And when you dig down to that basics... As you start in the first sentence of the introduction, you say baking really is simple and and very much so if you understand it. I read all through the how-tos and I was very glad to be reminded that salt should never come in contact with liquefied yeast, right? We know it kills the yeast, but it's always good Mm -hmm. to remember. And it's just such a gorgeous wealth of knowledge here. Then I got selfish, Anna. And I chose the recipes I couldn't wait to make from the 150. Um, and oh, so, well, tell. okay, if you don't mind. First, we must talk roasted white chocolate ganache. That makes me think brown mm-hmm. butter and dolce de leche and everything mm-hmm. rich caramel. Oh, it is. It's a transformation. Oh. And if, if you, there are those who turn their nose up at white chocolate. And, but wow, when you caramelize, the sugars in white chocolate, mm. it does. It becomes a caramel version of it. Yes. And then it's delicious on its own, but it has application. So I like to use it in my pumpkin pie recipe. I find it makes the silkiest <gasps> pumpkin pie. Oh, wow. Oh, Anna, you are so full of fabulous knowledge. Please stay with us. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, more with Canada's most celebrated baker, Food Network Canada star host Anna Olson is here. Don't go away. Back to the sweet stuff. Anna Olson is here, Canada's most celebrated baker, Food Network Canada star, best-selling, award-winning cookbook author, 11 times over. And we're sharing desserts, sweet and savory, in fact, from her new book, Baking Wisdom. When you talk pie and tart and otherwise, there's this big, beautiful chapter. You just alluded to it, vinegar in the pie dough. Uh, may I ask, are you vinegar or vodka or both? Is the vodka am, a science? It is. It's its own science. I have played with that technique. I am not on team vodka. Okay. I, I like the simplicity of vinegar. Um, what I have found, though, over years, because I've been baking professionally and teaching through mm. books and, and media for over two decades now, I have found that, well, first off, we're taught to make pie dough 
be by recipe or our, our, there's usually a family connection when it comes to a love of baking. But we're taught in negative. Don't let the butter get warm. Don't overmix it. Don't add too much water. Don't, don't, don't. So what do we do? We don't make it. And so I, I want to bring it back and teach it in positive. And I have found this is, and, and I am perfectly, even though the book is called Baking Wisdom, it is not called the only baking fact book. You can choose to, to debate and argue, and I love these discussions, but I find it's the overhydration. You know, in our sourdough making craze of the last few years, yes. we've come to understand hydration and how adding flour, adding water to flour bonds it, toughens it, develops the protein. Good in bread, not good in pastry. So I have found that adding a few tablespoons of vegetable oil to my flour before I even add the butter to make a pie pastry protects the flour. It now coats those tiny granules of flour so when you do add the water, it will not overhydrate the flour and toughen up your dough. I have also committed to a fixed measurement of... I I sound so excited because I get really excited about these little I know, and I love that. Uh, (laughs) But... So many recipes, the way I learned to make pie dough from my grandmother was, you know, you add three to seven tablespoons of water. That's and what, well, I, yes, ice water. And well, it depends the on the humidity of the day, right? And it doesn't. It, it doesn't. doesn't. I do, I, I, no, so I have committed to a quarter cup, four tablespoons of cool water. And now I think what makes me sound like a rebel is I am not sold on the ice cold butter principle. Oh, you're I not. find slightly softened butter works into pie pastry, it takes you less time, oh. um, therefore less opportunity to overwork the flour. It also works in more evenly Fabulous. because it is not ice cold and breaking up into little pieces and big pieces sure. that take longer to mix in. Huh. I get a more consistent result faster. Huh. See, these are the tricks of the trade from a tried and true professional. And while, and I mean this with all due respect, dozens of cookbooks grace my desk there are standouts. And if you've just tuned in, you're late because the standout is here. She is Anna Olson. Mm -hmm. She is Canada's most celebrated baker, Food Network Canada host, and YouTube phenomenon, sensation, and much beloved pastry chef. And the book is entitled Baking Wisdom. It is her 11th and the most extraordinary yet in my research, I will tell you. And if you chose just one method, technique, or application to learn, you will become a better baker. Now, to go back to pie dough, now I want you to know, and please duly noted, I I like to sip vodka, but I will take it out of my pie dough because of you, Anna. I will. I will give it a try. I want to try and compare it. I will try it for only one application. Um, But does that rule apply to crostata dough? Because... Pear, blue cheese, and pistachio crostata is on my list of what to make next. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Well, you know what? That's, that's a different dough altogether. So you're dealing with a sweet dough uh, with a nut base to it. So mm. it doesn't apply because you're not striving for that delicate flakiness um, of a, a pie pastry. So it's a little simpler. It almost behaves more like a cookie dough right. when you behave, uh, when you treat it. So even though pear with blue cheese is oh. not a typical cookie, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it takes that, you know, the basic Linzer tart of yes. jam with an almond or hazelnut yes. crust, um, but 
Yeah, I, you know, I know we bakers can be very linear in our thinking, <laughs> but there's lots of room for creativity. And this is also what I want to show you is once you understand you've got these foundations, I love when people take my recipes, adapt them, change a few things to personalize it and mm. make it their own. Because mm. if they're taking ownership of their recipe, it, there's a there's a personal pride and that's that's part of that spirit of the baker. You mm. you want to bake to share. It's a form of self expression. But we also feed off of the response of the friends and family we share our baking with. And we want we want to get the, the accolades. Of course. I love that you take that as a compliment. I I love this combination of pear, blue cheese, and pistachio. And I love even Mm. more that you say it's an elegant tart to serve as a cheese course after dinner, no doubt, but it would be a beautiful brunch. And Mm. oh, for Mm. upcoming holidays, it's the perfect weekend uh, cocktail snack right? A a starter course. I I mean, it's so many things. Then I turned to your quick kefir citrus cake. And Mm -hmm. I'm always very forthright on this show. I've used Greek yogurt in baking a lot, but I have never thought to grab the bottle of kefir. Well, I find it's tangier than yogurt. And so, especially for a citrus cake, it Mm. just takes it to the next level because you you brought up the point, Jamie, about pound cake. A lemon pound cake doesn't actually have lemon juice in the cake batter. You only get the tartness from the glaze you would put on top. The, the aromatic lemon flavor comes from the zest. And most citrus cakes have to rely on the zest because the acidity in any large amount can actually really mess with the batter. And then you have a cake that crumbles and fall apart, falls apart. Well, here, the kefir gives you that tanginess amplifies the tartness and this is one of those one bowl wonder cakes so the best um i I thank you for mentioning that yeah this book is for any baker i only ask for a sense of curiosity Hmm. um so if all you've got is a bowl a whisk a spatula and some sort of baking pan you can make uh, a number of recipes in this book oh and if you have a bottle of kefir you're golden i want to stay on Mm -hmm. citrus a minute i've never made a warm lemon saucing cake but mm-hmm. anything with lemon curd, I'm in. And this is a great recipe. I thank you for bringing that one up. This is one that you bake in the dish and then bring to the table and serve Love in the dish. That. So it's more in that English pudding style dessert, but yes. one batter separates as it bakes. And so huh. it, it, as it separates, the cake floats to the top and then this curd cooks and settles at the bottom. Hmm. And I make a note, you'll find that within the book, um, quite often as as cookbook authors, we pop in our our little side notes. And I've always, Mm -hmm. in my past books, had them off to the side or at the bottom of the recipe. But with this book, we decided to put them right where they're relevant, in a moment where you're, you know, if I'm talking about the texture of a batter, Put it right where you would be at the point in the method mixing the batter. And so if you're looking at it, questioning yourself, is this right? I'm not sure. I I have those tips to guide you. And yet the saucing cake is one of those recipes that you might think, this doesn't look quite right. The batter starts off really thick, and then it gets really thin by the time you finish mixing it. Hmm. But I, I'm there to tell you, this is the way it's supposed to be. So just stick with it. It is just one of 150 recipes shared by the baking dynamo herself, Canada's most celebrated baker, Anna Olson, her 11th cookbook out now. 
with every essential and advice and wisdom you could ever need for pies and tarts and pastries and cakes and custards and creams and confections, cookies, bars, and breads as well. Shared techniques and principles so that you understand the foundation. Anna, as she mentioned, leads the way with notes of baking wisdom in each recipe. And her goal, as you heard, is to help you achieve the very best baking results every time. And if you are looking for the most extraordinary teacher, then you will learn uh, in a grandiose way from this new book. It is entitled Baking Wisdom. It is a must-have from Anna Olson, and it is available now. You can learn more at annaolson.ca. What an absolute privilege it was to have you here, Anna. Thank you, and congratulations to you. It's a work of art. Oh, Jamie, you're, you're so kind. Thank you very much. I just want everyone to enjoy that time they spend in the kitchen. Yes, and I, I'm going to enjoy your book. It, it's my nighttime <laughs> reading now, and I'm really loving it. Thank you, Anna, so very much. The book... There'll be a test. Yeah, uh, yes, okay, I'll call you. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> the book, Baking Wisdom, don't miss it. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Go ahead, satisfy your sweet tooth, and then come on back. We'll take a quick break. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. about to get fresh, so get ready. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. After a long, cold, wet, wet, wet winter, there is nothing more welcome than the sight of spring's first fruits and vegetables, right? Crisp lettuces and slender spears of asparagus and fresh peas and bright rhubarb. And in our continuing series of comprehensive seasonal produce insight, We're here to share the best of spring's bounty. When you think tasty and tangy, tart, sweet, and delicious, you think Melissa's Produce, providing quality produce to chefs and restaurants and markets for almost 35 years now. And I am so proud and very grateful to have Melissa's as a supporter of this show since its inception more than 20 years ago. And their products just keep getting sweeter and better and more innovative. And Robert Schuler is our beloved resident produce guru. He's the director of all things fresh and delicious for Melissa's Produce. And he's here to increase your fruit and veggie knowledge. And I welcome you back, Robert. Hi there. Hey, Chef Jamie. <laughs> Glad to be back. Yeah, and very grateful to have you. I'm also delighted that the Ojai Pixie Tangerines this season are so sweet. Yes. Oh, they're delicious. Um, for those that don't know, this is the best California tangerine, period. Definitely. And uh, what makes these Ojai Pixie tangerines so delicious is because um, in, the, in a coastal city, Ojai, uh, California, about 15 miles from the coast of Ventura, there's this great microclimate Mm -hmm. and all they grow mainly in that area are these pixie tangerines this is a late season variety 
So they, this is the latest season, season tangerine, clementine, mandarin that grows in that area. They are seedless, super easy to peel, and the season just started in early March, and wonderfully, it will go all the way through early June, so yes. you get to enjoy them in early summer as well. Mm-hmm. You'll find them in most produce departments across the country because these are just the, one of the most spectacular-tasting citrus fruits of the season. Yeah, I have to agree, and I'll tell you, we eat them out of hand. You know that my son loves them. They're easy to peel. You can take them anywhere, but when you utilize them even farther than that. Like I'll juice them as I've mentioned to you before, they make the best olive oil citrus cake, which is a, a, I call it a dump cake, right? A one bowl wonder. Um, or I make a Greek yogurt orange cake with the Ojai pixie tangerines. And the flavor is so, it sounds crazy rich for a tangerine, but it's a lingering tangerine flavor that just goes on and on and I can't get enough of them. Um, Let's talk dragon fruit, please. I think dragon fruit is having its moment, Robert. And there's three main varieties of dragon fruit you need to know about because each one of them tastes a little different. Um, the, The common dragon fruit is pink on the outside, a bright pink on the outside, looks unreal. And then there's the white flesh. It would say that on the sticker because it looks the same as the red flesh, what is the magenta uh, fleshed variety. Um, And the white flesh is most common. It is the least of the sweetest. Then you have the red flesh, which is almost like a purplish magenta color. That one has some sweetness, but... There is the yellow dragon fruit. Now, the yellow dragon fruit is actually yellow on the outside. It is actually the sweetest, way sweeter than the other two varieties, and actually one of the sweetest fruits you can find in your local produce department. And I'll tell you, there is something about the visual of it, but the, as you talk about the flavor, it has this, like... Like, you can't put your finger on it. You have to have more craveability to it. And I, I, there's something just extraordinary about dragon fruit, and it is definitely having its day. Um, it is also grape season, uh, a very particular, and I guess year-round would be considered grape season now, right, Robert? But a particular couple yeah. of grapes that yeah. I happen to love. Uh, we get these great-tasting grapes from Peru and South America, and that includes some of the sweetest varieties that are also known in California, like the cotton candy oh. grapes. These are grapes <laughs> that taste exactly like it sounds, cotton candy, and they've been trending for quite some time. We helped introduce them just over a decade ago, and since then, there's all these other sweet varieties like candy heart. I love those Moscato that yes. Melissa's is known for. Yeah. All right. We have welcomed spring, Robert. I think we've done a beautiful job. And Melissa's does an extraordinary job at making it easy to find good local produce and produce from around the world. So please look for the Melissa's logo. The I is the carrot. You'll see it by name when you want the season's best. 
and when you're buying produce every day. And you'll um, find more info at melissas.com. It's a really resourceful fruit and veggie website, so don't miss it. Thank you, Robert. Talk again soon. Thank you for keeping us in the bounty. Thank you. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of inspiring and delicious culinary conversation. At least I hope you thought so. I thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every weekend where there's lots more fabulous food to share. Uh, But don't go yet. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration for the hour. Uh, I'm sure that if you celebrated Easter this weekend or are set to, then you will have peeps left over. I don't mean your friends. I mean the marshmallow kind, of course. And um, you either love them or you don't. I happen to love them. This past week, I did dipped them in dark chocolate. Well, I put them on a stick or skewered them, dipped them in really good dark chocolate and finished them with a sprinkling of flake salt. That's a great thing to do to use them up. But if you have leftover peeps and you want to make a communal dessert for family or friends, this one is a winner. It's a whimsical recipe I call Peeps S'mores. Yes, all you do is heat some cream until it just comes to a simmer You put uh, chocolate chips into that cream. Essentially, you make a ganache and you whisk until smooth. And then you transfer it to uh, a shallow casserole dish or a skillet. And you arrange the peeps on top and bake it uh, for just five or six minutes or so. And the peeps puff and the ganache bubbles away and then you serve it with graham crackers for dipping and you have peeps s'mores so fun i will post a picture and the recipe on facebook twitter and instagram at chef jamie gwen where i hope you will become a friend follower and fan and i will meet you here next weekend where we can sit down and dish some more Once again, I thank you for listening. Stay healthy and well. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. And please continue to eat well.